This is Amateur Logic, episode 186, for October 20th, 2023. Amateur Logic is brought to you by ICOM. Keep your competitive contesting edge with ICOM. ICOM's high power base stations cut through polyps, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. Heard it, worked it, logged it. Welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Rio. And I'm Mike. And it's good to be back with you again. This is a special show tonight. Uh, email didn't get the memo, but it's red shirt night. Yeah, Emil's going to be the only one that gets beamed back up to the ship. Yep. <laughs> going to be all on your own up there, brother. <laughs> I'm going to make it. It's Amateur Logic's 18th anniversary. Or wow. birthday, however you want to look at it. 18 years wow. of funness. Yeah. Never would have guessed it. So this is probably, well, pro- probably, this is one of the longest running video podcasts, period. You know, you're yeah. four or five years old when it all started? <laughs> <laughs> Such good memories. Such good yeah. memories. It, uh, is, it is one of the longest ones out. One it of is. the first ones that... Or longest ones on YouTube, period. I only yeah. know of one more that's actually been on longer. I'm sure there's some others, but I, I only Not know many. of one. No, I mean, it's like a handful. There there weren't that many people doing it when we started, and uh, we've just never been able to quit. Well, we're kind of stubborn like that. Yep. To celebrate, though, we're going to give somebody a nice radio package tonight. We'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. But right now, we're going to get on into it and get started because we've got a lot going on tonight. First up uh, on the email list tonight, Mike, you've got one for us. I do. Um, and actually, it, it was I just received it uh, a day or so ago. And it's a new, well, it, it's new to me anyway. I don't know how, the pro, how long the product's been available, but it's a... Um, it's a low noise variable gain amplifier, and uh, it's wide band. It covers uh, 30 megahertz up to 400, or uh, sorry, 44 gigahertz. And uh, I'm going to put it to good use very shortly. Well, I've got a video for tonight. This this was a nice find. Chip found it. Over the years, I've been a big fan of Craftsman tools, and when Sears closed, I wondered, well, what am I going to do now? Fortunately, Craftsman tools are still available, and I don't know that these are made by the same manufacturer. I'm sure some other company bought out the Craftsman trademark, and they're just using it. However, they've got some pretty nice tools now. After going through three sets of batteries, it was time to retire my old Black & Decker nickel-cadmium battery-powered drill and go with a new cordless drill. I was happy to see Craftsman at Lowe's, and this is 
a nice little drill. I, I picked that up. I don't remember what I paid for it now, but I've been very pleased with it. Seems rugged. Uh, all the controls there works just like I would expect. Got a couple of batteries, too. This is a, a one and a half ampere hours. Now, I think the smallest that you can get is a two ampere hour. And I also bought a four ampere hour battery. And they've got several different models, anywhere from two ampere hours up to nine. I picked up this oscillating multi tool, and that's been mighty handy, too. I've never owned one of these before, and I was impressed with how well it does work. I already had the batteries, so. It was a no-brainer. I, I needed something like this, so I just picked it up, and that's worked out great. I was happy to see an email from our friend Chip, K9MIT, that Craftsman now had a battery-powered soldering iron. I hadn't seen that, but they had them at the local Lowe's, so I had to pick up one. They're $49. They fit on the batteries that I already have. Just snap it on. I've got the one and a half ampere hour, and I've got a four here. And I've used it a little bit now. Gotten kind of used to it. Seems to work pretty good. I wouldn't recommend this as your first or only soldering iron for a few reasons. First off, the soldering iron itself is $49 without any batteries. A 2 ampere hour battery is going to cost you 49 bucks. That means you're into this for $100. And it works, and it may be worth that, but there are less expensive options if you need something that's cordless. If you've already got the Craftsman batteries and other tools, well, then 49 bucks. yeah, that's not bad. That's why I bought it. There are things I like and don't like about it, so we're just going to look at those here. And talk about it a little bit. All these tools use the Craftsman V20 series of batteries. They're available in 2, 4, 5, 6, and 9 ampere hour varieties. They're not cheap, but they are good lithium-ion batteries. So far, I've had good luck with them. Uh, they've got the indicator, just like a lot of them do these days. I had to buy the batteries. I had to get a charger, too, so I bought the charger. That's a little more money. So if you don't have any other Craftsman tools, you're going to be in for a little bit of expense just for a soldering iron. By the time you buy the soldering iron for $49, a 2-app lithium-ion battery for $49, and I don't remember how much the charger was, it's a little bit of expense. There's some things I like about the iron. Um... Most notably that you can take it outside and solder or somewhere that you don't want to have to run an extension cord. It's very handy. It goes from, what do they say here? Look at my cheat sheet. 400 to 900 degrees Fahrenheit. So that seems like plenty of range there. It's got a variable temperature control on it here, so you can adjust what you want. There's no readout on it, but at this price, I really wouldn't expect that. To turn it on, you just press in the switch. There's a red light, and that will be illuminated until it is warmed up. Once it turns green, we're ready to solder. Just dial in whatever temperature you want, or a rough approximation of it, and you'll be ready to go. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out. I'm going to turn it off first because I, I don't want it to get hot just yet. 
when it's flashing, that means it's counting down to cooling off. Now, that stage is going to go on for a while, and this one has not really got hot yet because I just turned it on. Now, it's not uh, rapidly going to warm up. It takes a little while, but, you know, if that's what you need to get the maximum amount of power out of your battery, that's fine. I can wait a few minutes. But let's talk about a few other things. First off, it comes with one tip, and that is this little tip right here. And I don't know if you can see it, but that is a very fine point. I mean, this is small enough to practically do um, some surface mount stuff with. I don't know why they'd include a tip so small with a battery-powered soldering iron. Uh, just doesn't make sense to me that something being sold at Lowe's or Ace Hardware would need that tiny a tip. Fortunately, it's a one-quarter inch shaft on the tip here, and these are the same size that a lot of Weller irons use, like a WLC 100 that I've had for years. This one right here, as a matter of fact. Um, oh, gee, I've had this one 20 years or so. The same tip will fit this as fits that. So I already have a variety of different widths of tips. So I'm in good shape as far as that goes. And I just stuck a larger one on here, more of the size that I wanted to use for the last job that I did. I haven't determined how long a battery will last yet because I haven't used it enough to completely discharge the one and a half ampere hour battery. Let's do a little more comparison here. Get out something I can do some measuring with. First, I'll pick up the old Weller, get a grasp on it, and I'm going to put my finger right here, right on the edge of this cutting mat, and see how far it comes out, right at three inches. So that that's the reach. I've become accustomed to that. Works out good for me. On the Hacko, it's about three inches. So... Uh, no real change there. That seems to be a, a good length. I can rest my arm on something and work around, no problems at all. On the new Craftsman, let's see, you've got a little more area here. It's uh, made a little bit different, so you can see a difference in the length there right off. This one's about three and a half inch reach out there. That makes it a little bit um, well, to me, a little more difficult because it's got to reach out farther into whatever it is I'm trying to work on. But still, not an issue for the type of stuff I'm going to do with it, which is uh, working outdoors. I used it to do some, uh, well, some additions and uh, modifications on my truck recently, and it worked out great for that. This is a CMCE 040. You can get it at Lowe's. That's where I bought it. Ace Hardware also has them, and probably some other places as well. Everywhere I look, they've been 49 bucks. Lights up red when you first turn it on by pushing the button. It'll turn green when it's reached the temperature that you've selected, and it'll flash red when it's cooling down. And there's a 30-minute shutoff timer in here, which is good because you wouldn't want to go off and leave it on and forget about it. Not good uh, for the iron just sitting there idle or for wasting your batteries or possibly burning up something. 
Now, one of my other complaints about it is it takes a while to heat up. I have not timed it out, but I'm thinking that light right there is not going to come on for at least two or three minutes, which is a little longer than I'm accustomed to. Still, you can live with that. Other than that, um, it's it's portable uh, with the small battery. It doesn't want to tip over too bad. Uh, it will a little bit with a larger battery. Uh, no issues there. But really, the 2 ampere hour battery is probably going to cover, I would guess, most of what you want to do. You don't have to get the big battery. So that would save you some money there. Uh, it, as I mentioned, has worked out well for the things I have tried it with. And that's the first time I've taken a wipe in the sponge there. But by all means, if you're going to be soldering and you can Get you a sponge and wet it and use that to clean your tip. There's nothing worse than letting the tip get dirty on your soldering iron. It's not going to solder well. Uh, you're going to contaminate whatever it is you're trying to solder, and your tip's not going to last as long either. So uh, use your wetted sponge, and you can use a kitchen sponge. Just go buy you one at the grocery store. We're going to solder an old quarter-inch phone plug with the zip cord like uh, you might use for a speaker lead or something. And I'm not going to really complete it. We're just going to solder down the connections and see how it goes. And this is a Rain brand, R-E-A-N. It's, um, I would say it's virtually as good as a Switchcraft. The metal is a little bit thinner, though. Not that that really matters, but just to give you an idea of what we might be looking at here. Now, anytime you're going to solder, or most any time, it's good to add a little flux to whatever it is you're going to be working with, particularly uh, tinning your wires in advance. A couple of different kinds here. You can get a paste flux. This is a Kester right here, a rosin paste flux. Or you can also get it in a little pin, and that works just as well. I use this on everything. And we're up to temperature, so it starts melting right away. And with a little flux on there, did a fine job. Now you want to use a good solder, too. This is a Kester, and I can't read the number on there. But I bought this back in, well, October of 2013. So a big spool will last you a long time. This is no clean flux in here, and that's become my favorite. It's not quite as quick soldering as, say, rosin core would be, but you don't have to clean it up afterwards if you don't want to. Slide that up in there. Warm up our connector and our wire. So you don't have to burn up what you're trying to solder. Use just enough heat to do the trick. And let it sit a moment and cool down. And there, that's that's in there good and strong now. There. Hold it still till it cools. And we're good to go. Two good strong connections there. So as far as soldering, uh, yeah, with the, the size of tip you need for the job, it will work well. You might have to buy that tip, though, because the tiny one it came with may not do the job. I'll start the shutdown process now, so that's going to take a while. If you've already got other soldering irons, 
and you've bought in to the Craftsman ecosystem of battery-powered tools, why not? Go ahead and pick you up one of these. 50 bucks. If you've got the batteries, it's very convenient, uh, particularly for working outdoors or wherever you don't have electricity handy. Would I buy it as a, my only soldering iron? No. I would not. It depends on what you're going to do, though. It, you might might find that it works good for you, but for me, I, I need something a little more, well, <laughs> a little better regulated and a little easier to work with. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up if you already own the batteries and the charger. If you don't, I'm going to say thumbs down. It costs too much. So there you go. My review on the Craftsman battery-powered soldering iron. Interesting. I'm glad I got it. And I will use it some. But if I'm going to be working on a PC board or something, I probably won't. I'll probably go with the stuff I've already got. You know, uh, I got that same email from Chip. I don't have the Craftsman batteries. I, I have Ryobi tools. I got mm-hmm. quite a few of them, actually, and several batteries and three different chargers. So I, I actually looked into that. That Ryobi has one. I bought one, too. Just, we need to have a Southern Iron Smackdown yeah. show one day, I guess. How pointy a tip did it come with? Just like yours. Oh, really? Yeah, so I ordered some more tips for it. But it does, it's got a different one. It uses the Heiko tips. Yeah. Hacko, Hacko, however you pronounce it. So I bought some knockoff and stuff on Amazon just to see if they worked, and then I'll probably buy, buy a couple better ones. We're going to be back in just a moment because there's still a lot more to go, so don't go away. Keep your competitive contesting edge with ICOM. ICOM's high-power base stations cut through pileups, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. Contest from the comfort of your home or remotely with the RSBA1 app. Heard it, worked it, logged it. The IC7851 gives you a new window into the RF world and is HF excellence unparalleled. With faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal, it's truly the pinnacle of HF perfection. Dual receivers, digital IF filters, memory keyer, digital voice recorder, high-resolution spectrum waterfall display, enhanced PC connectivity, and SD memory card slot. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants. This high-performance SDR can pick out faint signals in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that has changed the world's definition of an SDR. RF Direct Sampling System, 110 dB RMDR, independent dual receivers, and dual digicell. ICOM's IC7300 is a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. This is a radio that changed the way entry-level HF is designed. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The real HF fun starts here. For more information about ICOM's amateur offerings, visit icomamerica.com slash lineup slash amateur. Some changes uh, 
the FCC is proposing to do for the 60-meter band. I don't know if you guys use it much. and I, I don't use it much, but I have used it in the past. ARRL is asking that all radio amateurs urge the Federal Communications Commission to continue the existing use of 60-meter band. A public comment period is open until October the 30th, 2023, so that's not much time left. ARRL encourages expressions of support to the FCC for the current 100-watt ERP power limit instead of reducing the limit to 15 watts EIRP and continuing secondary access to the current channels. While radio amateurs are encouraged to include any comments they'd like in their submission, they're especially encouraged to draw upon their personal experiences using the 60-meter band for public service purposes and for its location between 80- and 40-meter bands, which is critical to ensuring signal propagation to certain geographic areas during variations in time and solar cycle. Some of the main points to comment are urging the FCC to keep four existing channels allocated to amateur radio on a secondary basis and urging the FCC to keep the 100-watt power limit to four existing channels and the new 15-kilohertz subband. It's going to add a block of uh, 5351.5 to 5366.5. The AWRL proposal is basically the same thing, but uh, well, 100 watts. The FCC almost. proposal has uh, four red X's in there. That means we're going yeah, to lose all that. Yeah, get rid of that. the other four channels. Yeah. If you're interested in that at all, uh, go to the site that was on the bottom of the screen there, and it'll also be in the show notes, and uh, you can make your comments yeah. if you like to. Email, you had a problem to solve. I uh, did. And, and you know, there's nothing like all of us 80s and 90s dial-up geek nerds keeping it around and keeping it going, uh, except over RF. And you can do it with this. Hello, George, Tommy, Mike, Amateur Logic TV viewers. So I had an issue recently, and I needed a solution for it. And my issue was that I'm in an area that has many terminal-based AX.25 packet systems where there are multiple brands, uh, multiple types of services available downstream from our club's digipeter, the W5 SLA uh, digipeter that's up about 630 feet with about a 70 mile or so coverage on VHF. And the problem was I needed to go to different types or pieces of software to retrieve these messages from the different types of uh, TNCs or the brands, uh, bulletin board services, mailboxes, etc., and also WinLink. So I was searching for a uh, solution to help me manage that. That's what the topic here is. It's going to be about the solution I found. And the solution I found is called Outpost Packet Message Manager. And it's an awesome piece of software that just works. I've been using it for a few months now and it just works. We have maybe nine plus 10 
maybe a dozen, counting all the different types of services um, that are available within range of our DigiPeter packet on VHF. And now I have one single software in which I can hit all of those differing brands of services and have the messages be in one place for me. That's huge uh, for what I'm trying to accomplish with it. Uh, well, first, let's talk about what it was designed for, right? Out, it says right here, Outpost was designed for Amateur Radio Aries Races Packet User Community. The thinking behind it was to create an intuitive, easy-to-use program that lets Aries Races organizations focus on the message and not the medium as they pass digital message traffic to and from operational area, bulletin boards, services, and uh, some of the goals behind it are are to hide the complexity of the native packet environment. If you've ever used terminals or TNCs connecting to them, can be a little bit fun. But uh, it also claims that the uh, the provide a Windows based packet client, which is what you're seeing here, and you can automate the packet um, handling environment, which I'll show you later. Um, and in general, puts it in front of you as if it were a uh, email client, just like the WinLink Express software. The idea is the same. It's if you're familiar with using email client, you'll be able to use this without much fuss or trouble. Of course, the ultimate goal, since it's designed for Aries, is the response, right? Supportive response. And we have several packet stations and TNCs with bulletin board services at our EOCs here that we man as hams. So, um, to me, it's the, the right system, the right software for the right reasons, and, and it just works. So, let's, uh, let me start off just by giving a little demo here of uh, the normal ways you might be used to connecting. So, normally, there's a terminal method let me turn up the volume here there's when you connect to a uh, bulletin board service or a local messaging board i'm going to go ahead and connect to a local mailbox that i know is out there and there you go i'm connected now to uh, one of our clubs uh, bulletin board services, and this is where I would have to go and tell it to list me the messages so I can see. Again, it's manual interaction like the old Telnet days. So that was me manually listing out some messages. And I can go and read one of them, of course. So this is the manual way. can see the message coming through without much again it's not it's not at breakneck speed but hey when all this fails I have something so there you go I got the message and of course if you want to read it you're gonna to have to go back through the uh, client here and uh, the terminal and read it and I can disconnect from this bulletin board 
And that's the way you would normally do it. If you have a TNC, of course, you'd be connected to the TNC and giving it commands to go do the same thing. Um, the software in question here, let's do the same thing um, from this one. I'm going to go and select that BBS, which I've already set up. Same one here. And then I'll go to the inbox. And I'm going to send and receive all messages. Gives you a nice little uh, thing here. And the great thing about this software is it knows the commands to use based on the prompts it gets. And there you can see it's telling the system to list messages, list traffic, and list bulletins. And if there's any bulletins it hasn't received, it will download them. If it has received them already and is in your... Uh, you know, archives, if you will, as being installed or being downloaded already, it's not going to download it again. Now, that's huge when it comes for traffic going over the air. So I've already gotten all those messages. It knows that. So it did not download anything in that session I just used. Um, so that's, that is very, that's a very good use of the airways and uh, the software to keep track of what you already have, what you don't. So when, when you're connecting up uh, to systems. So very functional software. It's not just uh, for TNC type bulletin boards either. It also does the Telnet or WinLink via Telnet and over RF. It recognizes the, tel uh, the RF systems, the RMS packet gateway protocols as well. And it works. It just works on those. I've done it with both. And got to say, well done. Um, in fact, uh, the author of the software is still around. I believe his name is uh, Jim, KN6PE. And this version that's out now, which is version 3.7, I believe, or um, is was released in June of this year. So he's still developing it. Uh, or, or you know, has a recent release of it, and I reached out to him just to thank him, and he responded uh, to me, saying I was glad, you know, glad to hear somebody can actually, or will can use it for something. So uh, that's that's a really great thing. So in reference to, so now we know that we can download messages from multiple types of TNCs brands. You know, there's the Cantronics TNCs, which have built-in PBBS and uh, network nodes and all sorts of features, right? They That's a brand. There's also the TimeWave or P, PK-232s that probably, everybody probably seen those at the uh, HamFest. And, of course, there's the WinLink system that sits as a service, if you will, behind some of this. Well, VHF packet or packet in general is one of its methods, just one, of connecting. So... With that said, there's three different types here, and what I'm going to show you right now is something that's also built into this system. He has a scripting engine that uh, you can automate the um, retrieval, if you will, in sending as well. It's not just sending and receiving. You can do all sorts of things with his scripting engine. But uh, if I run this scripting tool here and open my script 
that I ran, that I created using his examples. He he provides examples. So I customized it and said, hey, let me give this a, a try and let's take a run through it. I got it pausing for 10 seconds for when you first start up the software so the timing doesn't get out of whack. Let's see if I can put the volume up. So it's going to it's going to go ahead and connect to that first bulletin board and with each of these sessions you can tell it basically what you want to do list messages list traffic retrieve traffic list traffic or uh bulletins and then also send anything that you have waiting in your outbox but the same principle applies here for like you see this first one that it's going through right now is the um the board we just connected to manually now the system's doing it's on its own look ma no hands so it, it just finished the first one now it's going to cycle through to another board that's running uh i believe this one is a, a cantronics as well in our uh Bush, louisiana area but we'll see if it's online some if they're not online sometimes you won't get replies of course You can see it skipped that other BBS because it wasn't replying. Moving on to the next one. It didn't download anything here because it already has these messages. And there's some other traffic happening on the Digi with another station too in the background. So it's packet based, right? So it has methods of avoiding the collisions and things of that nature. If multiple people are using it. Now it'll move on to the next cycle and so forth and so forth. Again, one of the things that's unique about this one is uh, like the session that it's connecting to right now is a session out of New Orleans on PBS that is running the uh, BPQ software, if you're familiar with that. And it has both a BBS and a WinLink RMS gateway built into it. This will connect to both and get the messages from both. So uh very powerful in that regard in fact i think it's the best feature of this to be able to uh, one recognize the tncs or the software that it's connected to and two to be able to automate it with the scripting engine and the ultimate best part from my perspective as you all know it's free so check it out outpost packet message manager uh it's worth it to me. It's serving a purpose or a function on this side, on the packet side of HF and ham radio. So seven three. Will it run with any TNC as long as it can go? It it operates in kiss mode, does it? So it it 
has all of the logic for any TNC via any method, serial or otherwise. And yeah, KISS is one of the things that the way I was using it just now was to connect to my um, uh, UZ7HO sound modem that's in my shack remote over TCP IP. So it'll do the TNC's remote uh, direct connected to it or over a network or remote or however you, whatever you have. You've got a, I don't know. This is not an email. This is, um, this a, is not an email. This is a, uh, a post a face, to a website or something. It is a, a Facebook post from our friend Wayne from Maine with antennas, mainly in the RF planes, uh, <laughs> W1WBL. And, you know, he must have been out there rubbing some lamps three times and flying around the ionosphere with, on some magic carpet with a genie uh, because he sent us a post about an article about ground screen antenna theory that I thought was a pretty neat read. In it, George, there's some visualizations, um, some diagrams. Uh, you can see there in that picture the, uh, the mesh sitting down on the ground there, which is like a metal screen. There's also different lengths and how you connect up uh, connectivity or conductivity to it from your um, ground system or whatever you're using. But there are some really good visualizations and something uh, in diagrams from the ARRL antenna book, like right here, as well as uh, pretty good descriptions of why radials, or in his case, the metal screens and mesh, or what they call as the magic carpet, why they actually work and do what they do for vertical portable operations or vertical in general. My favorite visualization is the horizontal dipole. If you imagine a horizontal uh, dipole turned vertical with the feed point being at the ground level, you're missing half the antenna underground, right? So those currents are running underground and these screens and the radials that we're all used to using help that current move, conduct, they conduct better than the ground, basically. Um, so that visualization and the way they describe it is really good in this article. So it's worth a read. So thank you, Wayne, for sending it to us. W1WBL, thanks. We get emails. We get social media posts. We look we get, at websites. We get emails. But I got an actual piece of snail mail right here. Oh, real mail. What's that? Yes. And this... is that? I saw something like that in a museum. Is it a postcard? It is a postcard. And it, uh, it came from overseas. It came from our friend Timmy, OH7T. He said, last week of August 2023, I visited uh, my daughter's family here in North Germany. With warm regards and 73s to the whole ALTV crew, D to May OH7T. I have a segment here from our friend Jocelyn, KD8VRX. And Jocelyn, email, he kind of, that's just a coincidence, he kind of expanded on what you were just talking about there. Hi, this is Jocelyn, KD8VRX, and today we're going to try the MFJ1898 compact antenna. Now, this antenna does not come with a tripod, so we're going to use the Wolf River Coil mini tripod to set this up with, 
And we're not going to use conventional radials. Well, we've got a little surprise there for you. And we are going to see how well this uh, really compact antenna performs. Right? So uh, give me a few minutes to get set up. Okay. So typically, the Wolf River Coil comes with three of these bundle uh, radial wires with the lugs on them. But a friend of mine turned me on to this. Why lay down these radials when you can lay down a blanket? This is a Faraday cloth blanket. It sells on Amazon for about $38. And uh, it's uh, known as a Faraday cloth or Faraday blanket. It is one yard. So we're going to try that and see how well it performs. Okay. See. Right pod, right on it. Going to assemble the antenna. We'll check the SWR. Okay, so the way we're going to adjust the antenna here is there's a nut at the bottom. We're going to loosen and we're going to raise this up. And you're going to feel it click. And it's got a scale here in inches. So I think four and a half is where we're going to start for 20 meters. And let's see what the SWR is and we'll keep adjusting. All right, he's in D.C. at uh, Park Kilo 4567, 4567, easy number to remember. Um, let's see if we can talk to him. This is Kilo Delta 8, Victor Radio X-Ray. Beautiful signal here in Ohio, 5-9 plus, beautiful signal. And I QSL the park as Kilo 4567, easy number to remember. Yeah, it's Kilo Delta 8, Victoria Radio X-Ray, Victor Romeo X-Ray, Roger. Kilo Delta 8, Victor Romeo X-Ray, QSL. QSL, QSL, thank you very much, have fun at the park. Roger, Roger, you're about a 5-4 here in the park, but uh, I'm able to pick you up with nobody stepping on you. Anyway, uh, 73, sir, thanks for hunting. Thank you so much. Have fun. All right. 20 meters. Done. So uh, we've retuned the antenna for 40 meters. And uh, we've got a station here. Uh, looks to be in Pennsylvania. Kilowatt Delta 8. Victor Radio X-Ray. QSL the 5-4, QSL the 5-4, you are 5-9-59 here in Ohio, and I QSL your park as being Kilo 5-4-7-0, roger.
Perfect. Got the contact. All right, so we made a contact on 20 with a POTA. We did a contact on 40 with a POTA. Um, both got five fours, but this is also a compromised antenna. I mean, there's no way that's uh, half of wavelength on 40 meters or a quarter length because we're using a vertical. Uh, the coil's doing the work, but the portability in the antenna is the major uh, factor, and it does go from six meters all the way to 40. Uh, I'm not going to try the, lower, the higher bands or the lower bands, however you want to look, higher frequencies. Uh, it's going to be more resonant on that. Um, I wanted really to see how the coil would perform. I still got out with QRP running about 7 watts of power, so it does, uh, it does a good job. So uh, something to think about uh, for Poto and Soda. All right. Thank you all, and 73, and talk to you soon. Thanks for sending that along, Thanks. Jocelyn. Thanks, yeah. Jocelyn. Yeah, thanks for beating me to the punch, Jocelyn. Yeah. <laughs> I got that same antenna. Now, I, you may see it again next month. Yeah. I, maybe. But uh, yeah. that's pretty cool. I, it's I kind of a know. neat design. Uh, I guess he was alluding to the fact those clicking noises are actual, I guess there's a contactor. You can hear it stepping on the uh, turns of the coil inside. You can't see the coil, but uh, there's coil inside it. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy's got one. But yeah, I haven't used it enough yet. It's actually in the box. It's still in the back. So. Okay. But, <laughs> As uh, Bob, Bob Heil once told me, the antenna works better if you take it out of the box. Oh, <laughs> that's what I've been doing wrong. Yeah. That Faraday blanket looks like an interesting idea there. Yeah, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I may have to check that out. What was that last version of the Raspberry Pi OS? That, that Buster? You, Buster? No. Buster. Bullseye? No, it was email told us about it. Bullseye. Yeah, bullseye. bullseye. That's right. Yeah, yeah and you and know, there's another one coming out. As soon as he did that, I rushed right out because I had a a new Pi came in and I put Bullseye on there, 64-bit version, everything working well. Well, imagine my surprise this week when Bookworm. I read about this Bookworm, the new version of Raspberry Pi OS. It's an odd number of years, so there's a new major Debian release. So they're releasing a corresponding version of Raspberry Pi OS. This year's Debian release is called Bookworm. And apparently Debian release names are named after characters of Disney's Pixar Toy, Toy Story. Story. And they've about run through all the characters, and Bookworm was a minor character in Toy Story. So minor, I, <laughs> I can't say it. that. i got to say, I'm really impressed with the desktop. Yeah, there's a few small changes, but um, it mostly won't affect Raspberry Pi users. A bookworm really hasn't resulted in many changes, but the most important change is they moved to using Wayland rather than X11 as a display system. It looks, looks pretty much the same, a few little enhancements. For this release also, um, they changed from Pulse Audio to the newer Piper audio system. And they made changes to the network manager that was included in Bullseye. Now it's got some extra functionality. Includes the ability to connect to hidden wireless networks, connect to VPNs, or you can use a Raspberry Pi as a wireless hotspot. Hmm. And one other significant change is there's now a second browser option with the launch of a Raspberry Pi optimized version of Mozilla Firefox. Yay! So yeah, that's um, that's quite a that's, few changes. That's a big uh, that's a big plus moving from uh, Chromium. 
Also, they made some changes to um, to the VNC version. There's a I haven't got the note here, but they've there's another VNC version on there rather than real VNC uh, now. VNC the server or the the client the uh, the server that runs on the pod. Oh, oh yeah, um, tight, but tight VNC. I know it was one okay. I wasn't familiar with. Okay. Uh, but anyway, there probably real VNC will be. Re- you know, releasing a new version right away. So um, that will likely still be available. I hope so, because I like Real VNC the best by far among all yep. of those. Mike has a video tonight. This is sort of a follow-up, isn't it, Mike? It's a follow-up and uh, <laughs> trials and tribulations, because I had a lot of trouble with uh, this one, so... Pay attention to the uh, to the video instructions very carefully because you don't want to try to install uh, the latest and greatest image like I did. A couple of years back in episode 142, I did a live demo of an early release of OpenWebRx, a web-based server application that connects your SDR devices so that they can be controlled and monitored with just a web browser on your home network. Additionally, with some entries in your router and permission changes to the OpenWebRx, you can extend access to the Internet, allowing users anywhere in the world to join in on the fun. Some of you may be familiar with Kiwi SDR, and Keynote viewers may have noticed similarities between the two. That's because they share the same lineage. In episode 156, I showed how you can install and configure OpenWebRx and put those RTL SDR dongles that have been collecting dust in your desk drawer to use. Other SDR devices, such as the SDR Play, HackRF, etc., devices are supported too. OpenWebRx Plus is an unofficial fork of OpenWebRx. OpenWebRx Plus adds several additional decoders and features on top of the official version, such as more reliable SDR play devices operation, better map information with distances, and better APRS information with weather. Head on over to the OpenWebRx Plus GitHub project site as shown here and click on the Raspberry Pi images link. Click on the SD card image for Raspberry Pi 4 link. Do not get version 1.2.32. Otherwise, you won't get all of the necessary software decoders for things like DSTAR, NXDN, Yaesu System Fusion, and DMR. Ivan, EA2NN, has built this SD card image for the Raspberry Pi 4, containing a clean OpenWebRx 1.2.31 installation. This image should support all common SDR devices out of the box. The RTL, SDR, and SDR Play devices have been confirmed to work without any additional modifications. Please keep in mind that this may not be the latest version of OpenWebRx. Okay, I like easy. Just download one of the image files and burn or flash to an SD card. Refer to Amateur Logic TV episode number 156 for detailed information if you need help. Insert your micro SD card with the freshly burned image of OpenWebRx Plus and boot up by powering up the Raspberry Pi. I recommend initially that you have an HDMI monitor, mouse and keyboard connected. 
Afterwards, the Pi can run headless, as it is simply a server and all of your client connections on your home network. Also, you likely will need to set up wireless access settings before going headless if you're not using a wired Ethernet connection. So be sure to take care of this before going headless. Okay, now that we've got uh, our OpenWebRx Plus running on our Pi, um, just go to a, a computer, another computer on your network, and if you look up here, um, in my particular case, I have DHCP, which automatically assigns an, uh, an available uh, IP address from a pool. So yours is going to vary from here. But uh, if you paid attention to, uh, to what the IP address of your Raspberry Pi server is, just enter that in, just like this. And when you hit return, you'll end up with a screen like this. And just click on the start button. Okay, I've just muted that uh, for the time being because I want to go over a few things since it's been a while since we looked at this. So we're going to click on the settings button. And uh, in particular, I want to show you the, uh, well, let's go to the general settings. So uh, you're going to put in your call sign here, your location, uh, elevation, and um, if you have, um, if you want to receive emails, um, just put in your email address here and your uh, longitude, latitude in decimal degrees. And um, just this message here uh, telling me that Google can't display the, the maps correctly, um, uh, that uh, is my uh, home QTH location. Uh, you see these uh, little nice watermarks that says for development purposes only? That's because I don't have an API or a valid API. And um, unless you have a valid API, those are going to appear and you're going to get that nag screen. But uh, anyway, um, it suits our purposes just fine. Um, you can add a photo uh, at the top and I'll, I'll show you that later. Here, here's actually the photo that I uploaded. Um, and this is a little avatar. Uh, you can put a, an image of a, 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 any image that you want, actually. Um, you can specify the number of clients, number of files. Um, I, I recommend you leave these uh, remaining settings alone until you get familiarized with uh, OpenWebRx. Um, I find the defaults are, are just fine for my purposes. And any changes that you've made, uh, be sure to click the Apply and Save. And we're just going to navigate back to our settings. And we're going to have a look at our SDR devices. This is kind of the meat and potatoes and uh, where everything connects. So you can see, in my case, I have two uh, profiles. Uh, one's for the SDR Smart, which is an RTL SDR dongle. And I also have an SDR Play RSP1A uh, connected. And if you click on each of these, you can, you can modify the, the profiles. I'm just using the defaults. You can see uh, that uh, the creator of this image created profiles for the 20, 30, 40, and 80, 80 meter broadcast, or sorry, the uh, 80 meter handbands and the 49 meter broadcasts. You can create your no, new profiles here by clicking on that. We're not going to get into that right now. Um, 
but let's just go back and you can see that I've got two profiles for my SDR dongle, one for 70 centimeters and one for two meters. Okay, um, all these you can explore at your own leisure, um, but let's let's get right back into it. There you go. So as I was saying, we're on the RSP1A 20 meter band. All right, uh, King Henry VI, Juliet, Romeo, Charlie, you there? And this is, I believe, the maritime net on 20 meters on 14.3. Uh, and uh, just to go over a few of the other things. I got my squelch a little too tight here. Um, this is your, your, your uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, frequency increments for your tuning. And incidentally, you can collect directly on the waterfall display, and that will tell you right there. Or you can grab the center of the tuning indicator. It's a little tight with the narrower uh, bandwidth uh, modes, because if you grab the edge, you're the uh, skirts of the upper and lower range of the filtering. So. Uh, bear that in mind. You have to be pretty dead precise when you're grabbing it for tuning. Easier just to uh, click on the waterfall display. Uh, where was that? That was here, I believe. By entering the frequency, you can do it with the keypad. Um, I would have thought the band conditions would have little been a little bit better today, but not so far. Anyway, also uh, this is very handy. If you want to record the audio, you can click the record button, and it will save it to an audio file. These next few slides are going to show some captures of when I was uh, playing around earlier and I was uh, using various modes uh, using the built-in uh, software decoders that come with OpenWebRx and OpenWebRx Plus. So the first one was CW and if you look at the waterfall display you can see kind of from the pattern you get the hang of what the the various modes look like just by the waterfall display and of course by listening to them you'll also know by ear what they sound like and what each one does one interesting thing to note when you select a digital mode you select the software decoder so in this case I selected CW decoder it automatically put me on upper sideband you can see where the arrow is pointing to this little yellow band shows up and you can click and drag that on and what you 
you do is you click and drag that right on top of the actual RF signal on the waterfall display or on the zoomed waterfall display, and that will properly start decoding, in this case, CW. Okay, here we are listening to FT4, or I should say watching FT4, another uh, relatively new uh, digital mode. You can see when I click on digital mode for FT4 drop-down list, it comes up with a little window in the lower left-hand corner of the screen. It gives me the current time in UTC, a signal reports, an actual frequency, and a message. Here is FT8. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with FT8 by now. Very similar to our previous mode, FT4. JS8 call addresses some of the concerns about not being able to have a QSO in FT8. Although the signal wasn't strong, and that's a result of the band conditions at the time, this is an example of slow scan television. Now this is a new function in OpenWebRx Plus. There is now a new mapping function in WSPR or Whisper mode. Simply click on the grid square and it will appear on the map. Let's listen to some live audio. D-Star this time. Okay, we're uh, now listening to D-Star. You can see that I'm in digital mode D-Star, which is actually a native mode with using one of the built-in decoders. I'll uh, just shut up for a minute and let you listen to the QSO that's currently in progress. I'm currently connected to 001, or sorry, 030 Charlie. And I was, it hurt at all, not at all. Thank God, my mom was still alive back then. She came and got me. Oh, you can tell by the voice quality it's not perfect by any means, but uh, it's a start. It's a, actually a... Um, software uh, codec uh, that's being used. There's no uh, ambi decoder hardware device connected. Although uh, apparently on the other fork, on the original OpenWebRx fork, there is um, some experimenting with uh, uh, um, dongles uh, for ambi decoding hardware-wise using a serial port, but I haven't tried it yet. Um, just one other thing to point out here, um, as the calls come in, you can actually see the call sign um, and all the status that you can see, uh, actually, if you're using a D-Star Handy Talkie. My mom was 88 years old. She died of pancreatic cancer and it was D-Star. And um, the other modes I would expect to be uh, either the similar quality or slightly better than D-Star. D-Star is usually a good uh, benchmark for um, for uh, software codecs. Uh, it seems to be the most difficult one to produce uh, good quality audio. And along with M17, of course, M17 is still in its infancy, and it's going to continue to develop. Um, a couple of other things I wanted to show you before we go. Um, this is how you turn the status on and off. Um, it's basically uh, specs on your, your on your server. 
Um, I, again, I'm running this on a Raspberry Pi 4. Uh, you can run it on a 3B+, but anything below that, uh, I wouldn't even bother wasting your time because it just doesn't have enough horsepower to handle it. I, I have heard through the grapevine that um, somebody's tried it on a uh, 02W, um, and uh, they've had to overclock it, I think, to 1 gig in order to get it to work satisfactorily. But uh, it is working. Um, over here is a is a log, and uh, that basically gives you status on connections to your SDR devices primarily. Um, and uh, the receiver is is that little box you see toggling on and off there. The map, uh, which we saw earlier on on the Whisper, um, and again these development uh, purposes only in the nag box at the top is because we don't have an API or a valid one anyway. Um, Google uh, decided to start charging for it a few years ago. So um, unless you're willing to pay for it, uh, you're going to have to just put up with that. And of course, we saw the settings. So anyway, that's about it for now. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll report later on on if there's any uh, other developments. So once again, 7.3 for now from VE3MIC. It's our 18th anniversary here at Amateur Logic and... Happy birthday to us. Yep. Hey, email, you're supposed to bring the cake. Uh-oh. But somebody else is going to get the birthday present. It only seems like 17 to me. Yeah, it doesn't seem like <laughs> yeah. a day over 17. <laughs> I talked to Jim this week, and I told him, hey, it's coming up Friday night. And he said, well, we've got company in town, so I won't be able to make it. But... uh We'll get Jim on here again one day. Maybe. Maybe. It could happen. It could. Yeah. Maybe. He has been working on some stuff, so. Oh, yeah? Hey, yeah. We, we we can always talk to Jim. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to give away here? Well, we're going to give away an ICOM 705 Base station performance and features in the palm of your hand designed for field operation. The IC705 is packaged in a compact, lightweight, portable size. Whether you're taking your hobby to Soda, Poto, or some other on-the-air location, the IC705 will be your go-to rig. HF, 50 megahertz, 144 megahertz, 440 megahertz, multi-mode. You can enjoy a variety of bands in the D-Star DV, single sideband CW, RIDI, AM, and FM modes. The IC705 receives continuously from 30 kilohertz through the 144 MHz band. You can enjoy FM broadcast and airband reception. The IC705 employs an RF direct sampling system where RF signals are directly converted to digital data. Then process in the FPGA, or the Field Programmable Gate Array, making it possible to simplify the circuit construction as well as reducing the internal noise that can mask weak signals. There's the real-time spectrum scope and waterfall display, where you can quickly see band activity as well as find clear frequency. Scroll mode automatically keeps the operating signal within the scope range there's a large touchscreen color display, 4.3-inch color TFT touch LCD, same size as the IC7300 and the IC9700, 
offers intuitive operation of functions, settings, various operational visual aids, such as the band scope, waterfall, and audio scope functions. But wait, there's more. OneTouch FT8 mode preset. Preset memory offers smooth FT8 mode operation. You can start FT8 mode by operation by selecting FT8 from the preset menu. Up to five preset memories can be stored. Base station performance in the palm of your hand, you can quickly see how this compact radio is rugged for outdoor use in a small, lightweight package, weighing approximately 2.4 pounds. Utilizing the high-capacity lithium-ion battery from the ID51A and the ID31A handheld radios, the 13.8 volts DC external power supply can be used for operation and charging of the BP272, which is what we're doing right now. And in portable mode, the IC705 has the maximum output power of 5 watts from the BP272, which can last approximately 3 hours. This is perfect for true 5-watt QRP as well as the 0.5-watt QRP operations. Once you set up with a 13.8-volt DC power source, you'll have up to 10 watts. WLAN Bluetooth Technologies. You utilize WLAN Bluetooth Technologies for linking and remote control for a true wireless operation. The VS3 headset, which is optional, enables more comfortable operation via Bluetooth. An internal GPS receiver and antenna enhance your operation by providing location logging, RXTX locations via DPRS, near me repeater search scan, QSO recording with metadata, and internal clock synchronization. Micro SD card slot enables the storage of user profiles, QSO recording, transmit voice memory keyer, Ready logging, GPS data, screen capture, firmware upgrades, and programming. In addition to the two COM ports, radio control plus audio, the IC705 can be charged via the micro USB port. D-Star functions. Enjoy the latest DV mode features with the IC705. Have direct access to the D-Star network with terminal access point modes. Additionally, the IC705 has the photo share feature introduced in the 9700. Share photos without the need of a computer and with other users with an IC705 or IC9700. Enjoy portable operations with the supplied HM243 programmable speaker microphone, perfect for operation with the IC705 safely secured in the optional LC192 backpack, User assignable push buttons at the tips of your fingers like frequency and volume adjustment without removing it from the optional backpack. Speaking of optional backpacks, designed to be the ultimate must-have accessory for the IC705, I just so happen to have mine right here. Anyway, for the uh, IC705, the LC192 is perfect utility backpack. Features like a safety strap, with quarter 20 mounting lug to keep the IC705 accidentally falling out of the custom radio compartment to the user-adjustable internal panels for custom compartments for antennas. 
Oh, I'm sorry, antennas, backpacks, and other ex items necessary for afternoon soda activation. And we've got some other items to go with this. You're going to need an antenna, Emil. What have uh, we got for that? I think we got the MFJ 1982 LP in-fed half-wave antenna, George. So it's uh, MFJ's 80 through 10 meter 30-watt in-fed antenna. Full HF coverage from 80 to 10. No tuner needed on most frequencies. No long counterpoise, radials, or feed line required. Rugged, weather-resistant 50-ohm matching network. Fast setup and takedown. Easy storage and transport. Stainless steel hardware. UV-resistant materials throughout. In-fed horizontal wires cover multiple bands without traps, stubs, or resonators. In-fed radiators have the unique quality of resonating on the halfway fundamental frequency plus odd, even harmonics above. Broadband matching transformer at the feed points lets the entire HF spectrum be yours. SWR is so low, you may never need a tuner. Get on the air. Just one high center or end support installation is fast for home road emergencies. In-fed half-waves installed virtually anywhere in minutes comes with a rugged insulated wire radiator that prevents detuning when contacting limbs and branches. No snag. End insulator slides over branches and through foliage without hang-ups. Toss your in-fed half wave over a high limb for an inverted V. Raise the far end <laughs> high for a powerful sloper or even go vertical with an inverted L. Dark jacketed wire is virtually invisible. Don't let antenna restrictions keep you off the air. The in-fed half wave makes a great emergency backup for your regular antenna. The MFJ RF isolator is a one-to-one -one current ballon designed to be placed in line with a 50-ohm coax. The RF isolator is effective from 1.8 to 30 megahertz. It was designed to improve the performance of all amateur stations, fixed or mobile. The MFJ915 will reduce or eliminate stray RF often found on the coax. This stray RF can cause burns and other problems with electronic equipment in ham shacks and vehicles. Stray RF also results in a loss of radiated power from the antenna, which will lead to a great reduction in signal strength. Use of the MFJ915 will increase the efficiency of all amateur stations. It is made up of 50 ferrite core beads placed onto a 13-inch piece of RG303 coax. The coax and the SO239 connectors have Teflon for maximum insulation and extended life of the product. Okay. Uh, we had a question in the chat room. What model of antenna was that? The MFJ 1982 LP in-fat half-wave antenna. We've got a power supply as well. You know, you might want to charge your battery, or you might want to run off the power supply to get 10 watts output. We've got a great one here, and, and we've... I don't know. Tommy and I have both used these. We both have these, and we've given away a few of these in the past. It's the MFJ 4230 MVP compact power supply, 30-amp mighty light switching supply with all the popular features that the MFJ 4230 has, plus a pair of Anderson power pole connectors. Uh, it's great for Aries and races. 
uh, and others that enjoy the Anderson Power Pole connections. On the front panel, it's got five-way binding posts that allow easy connection to a variety of accessories. It's 25-amp continuous, 30-amp surge at 13.8 volts, and it's adjustable from 4.5 to 16 volts. You can choose on a switch here on the rear between 120 or 240 volts, and it works for anywhere from 47 to 63 hertz, so you can take it anywhere in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, We've also got the MFJ 533 Deluxe Wood-Based Telegraph. Excuse me. Features a Morse code straight key on the non-skid, beautifully stained wood base. Has a steel base under the bottom so it stays put on the table. Doesn't move around while you're sending. Hook up the straight key to your transmitter and go on the air sounding like you were born working QSOs and look good doing it. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> kind of like the copy that's something that Tommy would have written. Now that's got Richard's name all over that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-wired plug is a stereo plug wired for tip and sleeve connections for those radios that require the use of a stereo plug. Of course, it works with radios that require mono connections, whereas the ring on the plug is not connected. Uh, also, you're going to need some coax. So we've got MFJ5825X coax patch cable. 25 feet of pre-made premium coax patch cable, weather-resistant 50-ohm RG8X with pre-soldered PL259 connections. Okay. And that was a mouthful. And we're going to give this all away right now. Right before the show began this evening, Tommy and I went in the inbox Got all the entries collected together. Use the services of random.org to generate a random number. And we went down the list and found the winner. The random number generated matched with the entry that came in. And we've got the lucky winner there. Tommy is going to reveal right uh, now. Have you seen what I did with that name? I think I'm it's right there. Kidding, it's right here. <laughs> I hope I'm not butchering the name up, but it's uh, Mike DeBoer, KE0HKA, Minnesota. Congratulations, Mike, uh, KE0HKA. You're uh, the winner of a really nice radio package. And Woo-hoo! Mike is a general? He is a general. Okay. He sure is. So you can go ahead and use it right away. Well, congratulations, Mike. You're really going to like this package. Yep, and I hope I didn't butcher your name up. So I think that's probably how you pronounce it. Yep. All right. Well, there you go. Thanks, everyone who joined in and sent in an entry. We're going to go delete them right after the show here. And we don't save them. You won't be getting any spam because you entered the contest. Hey, we appreciate everyone who watches and enjoys the show. If he was eligible, he'd take a can of spam. Can, I was going to say, can my dog win, George? Your dog? <laughs> he didn't send in an entry. Oh no! I don't think he was U.S. licensed either. <laughs> Probably not. Canine Probably Wolf not. or Canadian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's from the country of New Orleans. It's right. Yeah. Well, that's true. Tommy, we got a couple of other little consolation prizes. Nothing as nice as a the radio package here, no? but. Thanks, ICOM and MFJ, for doing that again, chipping in and helping us come up with something good for the viewers. 
We've got a couple of books here. Storm Spotting Amateur Radio, compliments of the ARRL. And the way we're going to give this away is we're just going to pick somebody out of the chat room. I'm just going to scroll the wheel over here and not look at the monitor. And we're just going to click. And whoever we choose is the winner. Well, Dennis. Oh, cool. Dennis Cornell. I I don't have Dennis's call sign there. So, Dennis, if you will just send me an email, uh, george at amateurlogic.tv. You you won the Storm Spotting and Amateur Radio book? Yeah. Give me a good good address, and we'll send that on to you. So I better write that down. All right. We got one other book we're going to give away here. Me, me, me. This transparent edition. <laughs> I promise the pages aren't clear though. It's just like you got real text on them. Okay. Yep. But this is uh, getting on the air with HF Digital. I looked through both these books; they're really pretty cool. Um, not bad books. So. And this is a double publication. Compliments of a double as well. So thank mm-hmm. you to them for this. And you gonna do the next one? Uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't you scroll over there? You can't look at it. I'm not gonna look. I'm just, just make sure it. I'm scrolling the right direction because my other computer scrolls. Well, if you scroll back too far, they may not be there. Well, hey, George, Dennis says KL7HRO for his call. Yeah, yeah, we know Dennis. It's Dennis, yeah. Yeah. All right, Dennis. Uh, the, the winner of the HF Digital book is Barry Kelly. I clicked on your drum roll message box. By, uh, not by accident, but just by random rolling. What's his call? Barry what? Kelly. I don't know. What's your call sign, Barry? He's yeah. been chatting all night. Yeah, if you'll uh, throw your call sign in there, Barry, we will get that book out to you. <laughs> he said my dog needs the book. Yeah. Has your dog got a call sign? <laughs> Canine Wolf. <laughs> um, you can email me, George, at AmateurLogic.tel. There you go. You got it right there. Congratulations to everyone, especially to Mike De Beers, the winner of the IC705 and the DeBoer. MFJ prizes. DeBoer? Okay. 18 years. I don't know if we'll make another 18, but um, hey, right now the goal is number 19. Yeah, I think we'll make 19. I'd like to make it at least to 20. Yeah, I would like to make it at least to 20 as well. But I, I really don't have any plans on quitting, so who knows? Yep. Yep. I'm probably going to leave it with y'all before the 50th anniversary. The 50th? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna, everybody's going to leave it then. Right. <laughs> That's 30 more years. That would make me... Uh, 91. 91? Yeah, so I may still be here. Well, yeah. I guess we ought so. to be all virtual in the meta. Tommy, any final thoughts for the uh, yeah. for 18 years? I'm going to tell Dennis, happy 74th birthday. I see he says it's his birthday today. So, Dennis, the winner. Happy the, birthday, well, Dennis. Yeah, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Dennis. Yep, yep, happy birthday. Uh no, nope. uh Mike's gonna have a good time with the radio. Hope the guys enjoy the books. They look they look really interesting. So I looked at them a few minutes before the show started. Yeah, uh, 
Anyway, it was a fun show as always, and uh, I'll see you guys soon. Email, any words of wisdom from down there? Let's see. I'm pretty Whoa. sure there is. What was that? Somewhere uh, on here. There's a... Oh, a never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll do it the manual way instead of the the, uh, <laughs> the switcher keep, way. Keep it cheap. There you go. Words to live by. With the, with the handle. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. He, I did it. He would not buy the optional handle. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know I should have got you a pewter mug instead of a ceramic one. Mike, any final thoughts? I keep all my jokes in a database. <laughs> database. No. Okay. And that looks me, like an Eddieism. Eddie's here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw him out there. For me, uh, I will say, I don't know. Just uh, thanks everyone for watching and for your support. And it's that time of year you might want to be looking at your antennas and sealing up your coax, uh, replacing rusted hardware, whatever. Get ready for the winter months and hopefully get on the air and enjoy some uh, HF this winter season while we don't have any lightning going on or, or very little of it. Yeah, I actually got to do some antenna work. Mine's, uh, I need to re restring mine up between the two trees yep. before the weather gets bad. Of course, it doesn't was, get that bad yeah. here. I was talking to Cousin Jerry this week, and uh, he had to climb up his tower, and uh, as you were giving the demo of the uh, of that uh, portable soldering iron or, or the cordless soldering iron, uh, he could have used that because he had to run ex- an extension cord up his tower so he could solder on a new connector. Well, I would suggest he take the four amp battery with him just in case. Yeah, it'd be bad to get up there with the. I used to have a propane one, a butane, whatever it is, with the little gas you put. I've got a couple of butane ones. Yeah, and and they work. They work, but it doesn't last long. Eh. At least mine didn't. Seven three, everyone. Seven three. Seven three. Seven three.